Thank you, David. Good morning, everybody. It is really nice to be with you. You know, I've been uh, coming to Calvary Chapel of Tustin for about uh, 10 years now, and um, I've gotten to know the people here very, very well. I've watched the Lord do some tremendous work with uh, this church, the people here. Your pastor, Barry Stagner, is one of my dearest and closest friends who has been the type of person when I have an issue. He's the type of pastor I turn to. In fact, he has helped me over the years with many things. And so when I come here on this um, Palm Sunday, it's obviously different than ever before. I just uh, celebrated my 50th anniversary as a believer in Christ, as a Christian. It was March in 1970. And so this would be my 50th Palm Sunday. But I'm, I'm going to have to admit, I don't remember any of them. But I'm always going to remember this one, Palm Sunday 2020, because this year things are so different, so unique, that um, we're all kind of in a state of um, wondering what in the world is taking place. Like many pastors, I got invited to do a New Year's Eve service and an actual New Year's Day service, talk about what's going to happen in 2020. And as always, I made the statement, you know, as we look back, let's say when we meet again a year from now, if the Lord hadn't come back, we're going to be amazed at what happened in the year 2020. Now, I said that on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Now, obviously, I had no idea what was going to take place. None of us did that we'd be in these particular circumstances. So we're in new ground here. But here's something that's not new. This is Holy Week. This is the most important week in the Christian calendar. It is because of this week why we are here, why we are alive, why we do what we do, why you're watching today, why you're a believer in Christ, starting with Palm Sunday today, and then, of course, Good Friday, the day our Lord took the penalty of the sins of the world upon himself, and then Easter Sunday when he rose from the dead, giving us life forevermore. As he said, because I live, you're going to live also. So what I'm going to do today, we're going to do a Palm Sunday talk, but it's believe me, it's going to be a little different than any Palm Sunday talk you ever heard because there's so many things going on. We're going to try and put them together and be an encouragement and be a blessing. My message has been, continues to be, the message of Jesus. Remember when he was um, walking on the water in the Sea of Galilee and the disciples saw him and they thought they'd seen a ghost. I mean, here's someone walking on the water during this storm. And what did he say? He said, peace be unto you or be not afraid. In the upper room on the night of his resurrection when they were hiding there for fear of the religious leaders, fear of their lives, the doors were locked, Jesus appeared to them, the resurrected Christ. And what did he say? Again, peace be unto you, be not afraid. This is the message. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, basically this, pray about everything, worry about nothing. It says, in all things with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known under God. In other words, we're not worrying about things because we're praying about everything. But verse 8 is the key. It talks about the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. So my prayer for you is that during this time of great, great difficulty, God's peace will overwhelm you. Well, you'll have this supernatural peace that you can't explain that passes all understanding that'll guard your life, that'll protect your heart, that'll keep you going. Now, peace is, you know, it's not the absence of conflict. You know, there's going to be conflict there. There is. But there's something special the Lord wants to do in each and every one of our hearts. And so today, as we talk about what happened 2,000 years ago, as we talk about what's going on right now, I pray that 
above all things, God's peace will come on your heart as we enter the holiest week in the Christian calendar. All right, let's start by reading the passage, very famous passage, of course, in all four Gospels, the triumphal entry of Jesus. And then we'll kind of give a historical background and we'll talk about some things about it and and how it is so meaningful today more than ever before. I'm going to read from Matthew 21. I could have chosen any of the four Gospels. Matthew 21, 1. We're going to read uh, chapter 21, verse 1, till about verse 11. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Okay? And Matthew should be the first book of your New Testament. I trust it is. I usually say if it isn't, come and see me afterwards, but obviously you can't. But please let me know if it isn't the first book in your New Testament. All right. It says, When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them both and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did exactly as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees, spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in uproar, saying, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet, Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. All right, Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the culmination of the public ministry of Jesus. It begins the last week of his life. That's why we call it Holy Week. From Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, we have the events that are paramount and the most important in the uh, Christian calendar. I remember in 1969 when uh, Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, and uh, everyone was so excited about the walking on the moon, you know, and here's man, humankind finally up there, you know, we looked up, you know, I, I don't know if you saw it, if you were here at the time, you know, I'm, I looked up, I didn't see Armstrong, but I looked up and saw the moon there. And I remember President Nixon came on and he said, this is the greatest day in the history of the world. A human being has gotten on the moon, the greatest day in humankind's history because we walked on the moon. And I'll never forget a couple days later, the next day, Billy Graham came out and said, no, this is not the greatest day in the history of the world. Been at least three greater days, the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And indeed, this is the week that set it all in motion. Jesus, of course, was born. But these events, this particular week, are why we are here, why we have hope in this world. And what we see to begin with is what we call the triumphal entry. When Jesus enters into Jerusalem in that last week of his life, and he allows himself to be worshipped for the first time. Now, Matthew's gospel was written to Jewish people portraying Jesus as the Messiah. All the gospels were directed at different audiences, but Matthew is emphasizing Jesus is the promised one, the one who fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. And I've taught Matthew a couple of times all the way through 
And each time I teach it, I'm amazed at how much, <laughs> how much is there, how much is we, we never understand, we don't get from it, because it is so wonderfully written together. And every time we study it, we learn more and more truths about it. But in a nutshell, here's what Matthew is telling us. The very first verse tells us his whole gospel, his good news, is about Jesus Christ, the son of David. The son of David is mentioned first. Why is that? Because Jesus, the Messiah, was predicted to be, according to Second Samuel, chapter 12, verses 7 to 19, the son of David, an offspring of King David. So the very first verse tells the Jewish people who read it, you can keep on reading, he has the right credentials. He is an offspring of King David, as the Messiah was promised to be. And then you go on reading in Matthew's gospel, the first chapter, you get his genealogy, you find out he's not only the offspring of King David, but he's also supernaturally conceived. And Matthew emphasizes that. He was born, uh, conceived of the Virgin Mary. There was no human male involved in, in his birth. And that fulfills, of course, what Isaiah 7.14 says, that a, you know, a virgin will conceive and have a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Matthew puts that later in the first chapter, saying that his coming to earth was being God with us. So as a Jewish person would read or hear it read, the gospel according to Matthew in the, in the early days, they would see, number one, he's born in the, you know, in the right family, family of David. He's born supernaturally. He is indeed God with us. And then you go to the second chapter of Matthew, and we find he's born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. So he's born in the right place. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 tells us the Messiah would be born in the little town of Bethlehem. So as a Jewish person is reading through the gospel of Matthew or, or hearing it read as often took place, they would see that Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus, he's Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, fulfilling these things that the Old Testament had said. Over and over again, Matthew is emphasizing that. You then have Jesus uh, from a child to age uh, 30, approximately, in Matthew chapter 3, when this forerunner named John the Baptist comes on the scene, and he says, you know, uh, prepare the way of the Lord, make your path straight, because he is coming, the Messiah is coming. And again, the Jewish people, knowing the Hebrew scriptures, would recognize Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3 has that. A forerunner will come. Someone before the Lord Jesus uh, enters the scene, the Messiah, someone will promote. He's coming his way. And that's where John the Baptist comes on the scene. And he warns the people, the Messiah is coming. So he says, get right with God. Now, this is a great message for today and then. Get right with God. The Messiah is coming the first time. Get right with God. And so as we know, as John was baptizing, Jesus came to him. He was baptized and recognized by God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. We're told a voice from heaven uh, said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Luke's gospel tells us the Holy Spirit came upon him as a dove and landed upon him. So you've got the members of the Trinity there. You've got the Father and the Holy Spirit acknowledging the Son. So God the Son now has come into the world, just like the predictions have made from the very beginning, that God would send a Savior into the world. Once humankind sinned in the Garden of Eden, God promised Adam and Eve and everybody else, someday your sins will be taken care of, your sins will be forgiven, I'm going to send my Deliverer. The Deliverer has showed up. So anyway, Jesus was then tempted by the devil for 40 days. We get that in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, 
didn't succumb to it, showing that he has the authority to, um, you know, to be whom he claimed to be, the Messiah. And then what he does after that, he begins to do his public ministry. Only then he begins to preach the message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in chapters 5 through 7, after he gathers his disciples, he calls a number of disciples, says, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of people, fishers of men, as the old song goes. And then he goes up to the mountaintop and delivers the Sermon on the Mount, the manifesto of the kingdom. And basically what he's telling the people, this is how you must behave. But then he says some things that are very difficult for people to comprehend, like in Matthew 5.48, where it says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And I'm sure the people listening said, well, wait a minute now. (laughs) We can't quite match up to that. Uh, Your righteousness has to exceed that of the religious leaders who are known for their outward righteousness. We We can't do that sort of thing. And no, they can't. That's why Jesus was putting a perfect standard up that you and I cannot meet. Well, anyway, after the great Sermon on the Mount, we're told he spoke as one who had authority, not just as the scribes, but one who had authority. But if you uh, look closely at the Gospel of Matthew, there were no specific miracles that were recorded that he gave at that particular time. In other words, they talk about he performed miracles here and there. So a person reading that would wonder, well, now, wait a minute, how do I know he is the Messiah? How do I know he has these credentials? And that's where Matthew chapter 8 and 9 come into play where we see the Lord Jesus performing 10 specific miracles covering 10 different areas of authority, showing he has power and authority over everything, that he indeed is Lord of all. So any question about who he is or what he could do is solved once and for all in Matthew 8 and 9 when you find out he has authority over incurable disease, over space and time, over life and death, over the natural world, and over the supernatural world, and etc. So the bottom line is Jesus showed he has the authority. He had the authority to, to, to be the Messiah because he performed the miracles that were prophesied of the coming Messiah. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 says the deaf will hear, the blind will see, the lame will walk, the lepers will be cleansed. Well, he did all those things showing he had the proper credentials. All right, but still he is preaching with the people. Multitudes are following him and he's given the good news of the kingdom of God. We'll move ahead a little bit to chapter 13, and he starts giving the parables of the kingdom, the parables of the kingdom about, you know, um, the, the parable of the sower, the, you know, those, the dragnet and the such like. And the disciples ask him, why are you speaking parables? And here's what he said. It's for you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God that you can see, but for those who don't want to see, their eyes will remain blind, basically, Jesus told them. But then he said this, and this is a message for then and for now. And I want you to zero in on this. He looked at his disciples and he said, Blessed are your eyes what they see, and your ears what they hear. For many prophets and righteous people long to see the things you see, didn't see them. Long to see the things you are hearing and did not hear them. And yet they got to hear and they got to see the Messiah, the one who'd been predicted all these years coming on the scene, he is finally there. They were there in his presence. You know, in the same vein right now, here in 2020, as we're celebrating the first day of Holy Week, Palm Sunday, blessed are your eyes for what you see in your ears, what you hear, because we're seeing things today that have been predicted the last 2,000 to 3,500 years that would be signs of the last days of the end time, when we say last days of the time when God's kingdom would come to earth. And so that's what we're seeing right now. 
right in front of our very eyes. And so Jesus, uh, in, in giving the parables there and explaining why he did them, basically laid out not only then, not only for the uh, people living at that particular time, but also a message for us here in the 21st century, lest we forget that. And so eventually what happens, um, Jesus goes to Caesarea Philippi, where he made that great confession. Recall he's there. And, and it, we've talked about this before to you a couple years ago. We did a talk on uh, Palm Sunday about, we call it the tale of two cities, because what happened was he went specifically for the first time he allowed his disciples to worship him, the first time he acknowledged himself to be the Christ at a particular place, up in Caesarea Philippi at the uh, foot of Mount Hermon, where idolatry first hit Israel, where there was a temple built to Caesar, who was called a son of God, where the unbelievers believed there, this grotto there, where he was uh, speaking to them, where this underground, you know, basically one of the sources of the Jordan River were there, where the unbelievers later would believe the Greeks that this is where all the demons and the gods lived during the winter and they came out during the summer. In other words, at that particular time, it was an, a, a non-godly place, an evil place. No Jew worth of salt would go there. It was for unbelievers, pagans at that time. Jesus specifically went out of his way there, stood before, as we know now, this place where there were all these statues to all the gods of the ancient world, to where there's this temple dedicated to Caesar, a son of God, where idolatry started in Israel, where they believe that the mouth of the Jordan River there uh, was formed. These demons would come out, these gods, every um, winter. They would sleep during the winter and come out in the spring. And in that position, he then asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say Jeremiah, others John the Baptist, other, you know, one of the prophets. Then he said, but who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. It is that point he made the great confession. And you can imagine there, whenever we go to Israel, I'll always love doing this with that background there. When Jesus said, who do people say that I am? Against all the, the statues of all the gods of the ancient world, there's a statue to the god Pan, which means everything. Half goat, half human. We get the word panic from that would scare people. All these statues are there. And Jesus said, who do people say that I am? In light of that, well, you're this or that. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus acknowledged for the first time now to his disciples, he was the promised Messiah. But then he said this. He said, uh, don't tell anybody because I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die for the sins of the world. So he started then talking about his move towards Jerusalem, which again, as we're going to see now, is culminated in this last week, starting with the triumphal entry, where the first time he allows people to worship him publicly. He never allowed people to worship him before. Never did until Palm Sunday because it was the time he's going to reveal himself to the world. Now, one of the interesting things about, the, and there's so many interesting things about Palm Sunday that we have here. He started on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives when he came down Palm Sunday Road. Now, this was not a coincidence. This was done on purpose. Why? It's because in that very spot, according to Zechariah 14.4 and Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, he will return. Uh, Zechariah tells us he's going to put his foot on the Mount of Olives when he returns. The Mount of Olives will split in two. To his disciples, recall that he ascended from the Mount of Olives. The book of Acts chapter 1, verses 9 and 11 tells us. So the spot he started with 
all right, the, the Palm Sunday Road, is a place he will come back to. So it has, you know, a lot of um, repercussions for us in the future. But there's something else oftentimes people forget about this, and that is found in the book of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 9.3, chapter 10, verse 4, uh, verses 18 and 19 of chapter 10, and chapter 11, verses 22 to 23. So Ezekiel basically in 9.3, 10, 4, uh, 18 and 19, and 22 to 23. This is the place, if you recall, where the glory of the Lord departed from the temple, and it hovered there for a while on the Mount of Olives. So an interesting what's going on here, Jesus, in effect, is retracing the steps where the glory departed from Jerusalem during the time of Ezekiel and left. And now what he is doing, showing the glory has returned as he's retracing the steps, he's going down Palm Sunday Road into the city of Jerusalem. And, of course, there's other things for us, other lessons there, because it's, it's the exact place, as we said, he will come back someday as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, it's always great to go to Israel. Uh, people ask me what my favorite place is, and there, it's hard to choose, but in, in one sense, it's got to be the Mount of Olives, because when we're standing there, you know, we're doing a talk, we're overlooking Jerusalem, <laughs> realizing, you know, someday, someplace around where we're standing, the Lord Jesus is going to come back to earth at this particular time. So it was no coincidence at that time, he was at the Mount of Olives, he started, you know, the Palm Sunday Road, as it were, acknowledge, being acknowledged for the first time by the people, he was the Messiah, he was the Christ. Now, they did a couple of interesting things. They put their garments down for him, meaning we're going to submit, we're going to have authority, you know, your authority is over us. We acknowledge you have the authority. But then they did something else. They waved palm branches too, palm branches at him. And this is reminiscent of a celebration that was done about 164 years before the time of Christ. First Maccabees 10.7, the apocryphal book, and second Maccabees 13.51. There was a similar response of the people waving the palm branches. Now, this suggests, though, something that that the people didn't quite get. The reason they did it at the time of the Maccabees is because of a military victory over the enemies. And many of the people expected Jesus as the Messiah to be a military leader, to overthrow the Romans. Okay, the Messiah's here. Because we read about, you know, in the Old Testament, the Messiah ruling and reigning with an iron fist, overthrowing the enemies. Jerusalem's going to be the center of the earth where all people are going to go there, and they're going to worship the Lord someday at his temple, Isaiah 2, 1 to 4. And so when they're waving the palm branches, in effect, what they're doing, it's reminiscent of a military victory 150 years before the time of Christ. In other words, they recognize Jesus as the Messiah, but they miss the point, as we just read, that at his first coming, he's going to ride meek and lowly on a donkey, not as a conquering king on a, on a stallion, on a horse, uh, as it were, but as, as a meek and hum, lowly servant who will take the penalty of the sins of the world upon himself. And that's what they didn't understand. And, of course, we know from Holy Week, as we're going to continue on this week, we get to Good Friday when Pontius Pilate puts him out in front of the people. And he says, you know, the famous Ecce Homo, behold the man. Uh, what did they say? We don't want this person ruling over us. When we wave the palm branches on Palm Sunday, we're waving to a military leader. Someone to clobber the Romans, overthrow them. Didn't happen because the first time he came to die to suffer for our sins, the second time he will return as the lion of the tribe of Judah, Revelation 5, 5, as king of kings and lord of lords. And so at this particular time, even though the people did 
acknowledge him. They didn't quite get it. They didn't understand who they were acknowledging. Because as the verse says, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet. Okay, well, yeah, he's a prophet, but he's much more than that. He's king of kings and lord of lords. So Palm Sunday is Jesus' first revelation to the world, first time he allows himself to be worshipped by the people there in the city of Jerusalem. But it also has many, many, many lessons for us today. For example, he did fulfill his words to the people. He did fulfill exactly what he promised. The Messiah did show up. And God has the same promises to you and I today. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. If he makes a promise, he's going to keep his promise. Let me give you an example here from the Old Testament. I want to put this into context about because of what we're going through right now as a country and as a world with respect to Palm Sunday and the promises of God. And it's going to take you back to a book that predicted the coming of the Messiah, the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, the second chapter, there is the account of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon having this dream. And he was troubled by the dream. Now, he'd been thinking about his future, what's going to happen to his kingdom after he goes. And he was thinking about the future. And this dream came on him where he knew it meant something. It meant something uh, tremendous. But he didn't know what it meant. He, he saw this uh, great statue in his dream, as we find out later. But he wanted to know what it meant. So he calls together all the wise men, the soothsayers, the the people of Babylon, the enchanters, whatever they might be called. And he says, I had this dream, and I know it means something. I want you to tell me what I dreamt and what it meant. And the uh, wise men, the soothsayers, the enchanters said, sure, king, you tell us what you dreamt, and we'll tell tell you what it meant. And Nebuchadnezzar says, no, that's not how it's going to work. If you are who you claim to be, you can know exactly what I dreamt as well as what it meant. You've got to tell me the the dream as well as the interpretation, or I'm not going to believe you. And they said, wait a minute, nobody's ever asked that of a human being. No human being can do this. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar got very, very angry because he knew the dream meant something, and he needed an interpretation, and these people who had been paying all this time to tell him things about the future couldn't do it. So he ordered the death of all this particular group of people in Babylon, which young Daniel and his friends had become part of uh, when they were brought there in the captivity in 606 B.C. So as they're starting to bring the command to put to death all these, you know, enchanters, magicians, whatever they might be, the, of this cast of people in Babylon, uh, and Daniel would have been one of them. Daniel said to the overseer ahead of him, he says, wait a minute now, don't do this. Give me a, give me a while. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to answer this. And the book of Daniel tells us in chapter 2, Daniel prayed and God gave Daniel not only the dream, but the interpretation of the dream. And this is very important right now for us as we live in this particular time in history that we understand exactly what happened right after that. Daniel was ushered into the presence of the king. The king was told, one of the people from Babylon, one of the refugees, one of the people, the captives there, whatever you want to call them, uh, has the interpretation and, and the uh, understanding of your dream and, and knows what your dream was. So they brought Daniel in, and Nebuchadnezzar looks at him, and he says, so you're the one that's going to tell me what I dreamt and what it meant. And in Daniel 2, 27 to 28, which is so, so very important for you and I today in the world we live in, the words of Daniel to King Nebuchadnezzar, here's what he said. He said, no, king, there's no human being, no human being whatsoever that can tell the king what he dreamt. Um, no, it's not possible. But then Daniel 2, 28, he said this, but there is a God in heaven who knows the future. 
and this is what you dreamt, and this is what he has in store for you. That is our message today on Palm Sunday and Holy Week. The God of the Bible has a history of telling the people, telling us what's going to happen ahead of time. He knows the future. He is in control of the future. He knows you. He knows me. He knows what we're going through. And he understands the times we're living in right now. This did not take him by surprise, though it's taken all of us by surprise. And once we understand that our God knows the future, is in control of all things, then we can live accordingly. Then we can live with a peace, saying, well... This is something it's we've never experienced. It's unprecedented now in our, our history. Uh, we, you know, we none of us were, were planning for this, but we do know this: the Lord God is still on the throne. He's still ruling, and He's still in control of all things. It didn't take Him by surprise. So, as Daniel told that to King Nebuchadnezzar, what he ended up doing is telling him about four successive kingdoms that are going to uh, three successive kingdoms come. Well, four actually that are going to come after him. His was Babylon that, that ruled, and he said there's going to come a kingdom after you. Um, And it was from this great image that he saw, head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thigh of bronze, and feet of iron mixed with clay. And he started explaining the four different kingdoms that are coming. And and the prophecy there, 500 years before the time of Christ. And again, as we look at history, we look at the fulfillment, even the first part during Daniel's time, Medo-Persia took over for the Babylonians. Then Greece followed after Babylon. They were the third kingdom, Alexander the Great. Then, of course, the fourth kingdom, the kingdom of Rome. And we see just as Daniel prophesied, these kings came on the scene. But then something very interesting in Daniel chapter 2, we read, the last kingdom, okay, the fourth kingdom, as opposed to the first three, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and and, uh, Greece were all conquered. Rome never was, fell apart. But then we're told, like Humpty Dumpty, the Roman Empire is going to be put back together again in the last days in a final ten-nation confederation. Daniel 2.44, it says, in the days of those ten kings, the kingdom of God will come to the earth. Now, why is that important for us? Well, not only do we see everything falling into place today in a mind-boggling way, we so so many events that are happening, and this is where we've got to keep our eye on the prize here. Many of you know we do this program every day, Monday through Friday, on his channel, hischannel.com, from 10 to 11, called Breaking News, where we look at the events that are taking place and explain it from a biblical perspective. And uh, we do that, you know, five days a week, an hour a day. Uh, If you don't watch, can't watch it live, you can watch video on demand on hischannel.com. And what we're emphasizing right now is not only what we're going through with this uh, COVID-19, but also things taking place in the background that are further setting the stage for the kingdom of God coming to the earth. And one of the most interesting things, just as an aside here, just to let you know that God's still working, that we, we want to keep our eye on, on everything that he's doing, is this whole mess with the European Union. Do you realize that they're falling apart right now, this 32-nation confederation, because they are not working as a union right now, not working together? Because here is Italy, a country in the union, the third biggest economy that's falling apart with economically with all the people dying and they're asking for help from the other members and the other members are basically saying well who are you and what the European Union is acting like today is that there's no union whatsoever. They're all like sovereign states. And so we're getting all these stories about the demise coming of the European Union. Well, that makes perfectly 
good sense with the Bible because 32 is too big a number. There got to be 10 at the time of the end. So it looks like what's happening, one of the residuals of what's taking place with this uh, worldwide pandemic we're experiencing is God's going to whittle down. We're wondering how he's going to do it. These 32, you know, let the, this union dissolve and kind of raise up again and, and set as the scripture says, in a last day's ten-nation confederation. So we see things like that happening in the world. And we could go on and on and on with examples. And so we encourage you to watch us every day because things are happening every single day that are setting the stage in the background. Things because of the, the headlines, with, you know, everything, all we're thinking of is a pandemic, obviously. But these are some of the fallouts from it that we need to keep our eye on because the stage is still being set for the coming of the Lord. So that we know, number one. So there's still a God in heaven who knows the future, and we're seeing it happen right now. But something else, and that is this, and this is personal for each and every one of us, and this is why it's so important, why we're not afraid at this particular time. Even though, obviously, we don't know what the future is going to hold, we don't know what's going to take place in our lives, we have no idea of, uh, you know, what's going to be tomorrow. Uh, But we do know this, as Daniel told King Nebuchadnezzar, there is a God in heaven, and he's looking after us. The same God in heaven has made prediction after prediction after prediction in the past, and they've all been fulfilled. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 6, written 2,700 years ago, in the context of Isaiah, the Lord says in chapters literally 40 to 48, but particularly in chapters 46 to 48, He's saying, look, remember what I've done in the past. Remember I predicted things, the end from the beginning, how I've said things that are going to take place, and they have come to pass. And in verse 6 of chapter 48, he says, now you've heard, you've seen all the evidence. Won't you admit that what I say is true? In other words, 700 years before the time of Christ, the Lord could say at that time, I've already predicted so many things that have already taken place. Don't you see that I'm in control? Don't you see I'm there? Don't you see I'm running things? Don't you see that you can trust me during this time? And that was 700 years before Jesus came on the scene. And so here we are 2,700 years later. It's the same message the Lord has for us. Look. Why be afraid? Why? Because even though the unknown is there, we know who holds the future, even though we don't know what the future holds. God is in control of all things. God is the one who is controlling our future, your future and mine. And as we realize the events of Holy Week, going back to Palm Sunday of Jesus for the first time, revealing himself publicly, knowing that he came to die, knowing that the people waving the palm branches were looking for the wrong Messiah at that time. They had been paying attention to their Old Testament uh, scriptures because they were expecting the one who would rule and reign. You know, we find that out, give you a little preview of coming attractions on Easter Sunday uh, when Jesus met with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus on the day he came back from the dead. They were explaining to Jesus because he was, you know, they didn't recognize him because God supernaturally kept their uh, understanding of him. They didn't viewing of him from their eyes. Uh, he asked him, well, what are, you, what are you talking about? He joins them on the road to Emmaus, leaving Jerusalem on the day of his resurrection. And they look at him and say, what do you mean, what are we talking about? There's no other subject we're talking about. And they explained Jesus to Jesus, not knowing it was Jesus they were talking to. And it's interesting the misconception they had. They called him a prophet, which he was, a mighty worker. But then they said this, we were hoping he would be the one who would redeem or save Israel. Well, they'd lost hope. 
because he died on Good Friday. They, they, he died, and that was not what they were expecting, a dead Messiah. And so they went on and on and on, and Jesus finally interrupted, and here's what he said. Oh, fools and slow of heart of to, to believe. Uh, wasn't it necessary for the Christ to first die and then enter into his glory? In other words, if you read the scriptures, if you read everything in the word of God, you would have been expecting this, expecting his death. Uh, they weren't expecting him to rise because they weren't expecting him to die. And then he explained to them, the Bible says, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So what we see the Lord Jesus did on the day of his resurrection, point out the fact that they had it wrong. They weren't reading everything that the scriptures had said. Now, in the same vein, right now, as we're going through very difficult times, we need to pay attention that all that Scripture says. You know, oftentimes we have these little devotionals that we read every day that uh, give us, you know, excitement to go out and conquer the world. You know, sometimes you, a little thing you can look at and read, here's your a word for today, you know, where the Lord says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Go, oh, that's great. You know, I'm going to go out. He's going to be with me all the time. Or something like casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Well, that's a promise of God. You know, as you read through these things, I've yet to see the one that says, Yea, those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now go out and get them today. I haven't seen that ever in one of these little lists of the things you pull out. Or uh, something like when Jesus said, think it not strange, they hated you, uh, they hated me first. Well, those are promises of God, too. Not promises that we're going to be hated, but just warnings to us that we live in a world that's a Christ-rejecting world, a world that hates us, a world that hates us because we're standing for the truth. And we're seeing it made it so clear now during this time, if it ever wasn't clear, about how uh, Christianity, how the God of the Bible is despised and hated, how prayer is being mocked at, being laughed at, and uh, where was your God and all these people that died, etc., etc. When the Bible warns us about perilous times, warns us about these difficult times. And it also warns us about something else. Second Timothy 3, 1 to 5, it says they, they will oppose in the last days, the people will oppose that which is good. In other words, it will promote evil and oppose that which is good. So the point of all this is that God has warned us ahead of time. This has not taken him by surprise. It shouldn't take us by surprise. Jesus said in the last days, difficult times will come. People be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. What we've seen, though, in the last couple of weeks doing these services where, you know, pastors and guest speakers like myself are talking to a camera where you're watching uh, at home or wherever you might be and not being able to gather together, we're seeing record numbers of people actually gathering together. I did a thing last Sunday morning at uh, Calvary Chapel East Anaheim. We had a Q&A session. They were sending questions in, and someone said, well, uh, aren't we supposed to gather together? And, uh, you know, doesn't the Bible tell us that? I said, well, yeah, that's what we're doing. We are gathering together. Now, we're doing it, you know, dis- from, you know, uh, digitally, but we are gathering together. Record numbers of people are gathered together today to listen to people that have a message, a message of hope. And this week, you and I have the message of hope during Holy Week, during Easter Week, the message of hope, because it started with Palm Sunday of Jesus for the first time acknowledging himself to the world. But let us not make the same mistake they made 2,000 years ago and looking for the wrong Jesus. The Jesus that came 2,000 years ago was the Jesus, the Messiah, who was going to die first and foremost for the sins of the world. The holy, harmless Son of God, undefiled, separated from sinners, took the penalty of the sins of the world upon himself. He came to die. Those people on the Emmaus Road missed that. They were looking for a Jesus who would conquer, a Messiah who will conquer. Well, he will, but that's his second 
second coming when he comes back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So today, as we celebrate Palm Sunday in 2020, one guaranteed none of us will ever forget. It's one of these things, where were you when? Well, uh, just like when uh, the man on the moon, Neil Armstrong, July 19, 1969, when he walked on the moon, if you're living at that time, you would remember where you were at that time. You remember where you were at 9-11, and you're going to remember where you were at uh, Palm Sunday in 2020, because it's a whole different world right now. And there's this obvious fear of the unknown. We're, we're questioning what's going to happen. But we know this. If we read our Bibles and we know the promises of God, that God has promised to be with us to the very end, never to lead us, never to forsake us. He's going to be with us through all the most difficult times. Remember David in the 23rd Psalm said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't be afraid because you're with me. So the Lord's going to be with us during this time. So we want to take heed to what he has said in the past. Again, when he walked on water and they were scared to death, he said, peace be unto you. Don't be afraid. I've got it covered. When he rose from the dead that Easter Sunday evening and he came in the upper room, when they thought they'd seen a ghost, when they were terrified, he said, peace be unto you. Don't be afraid. And over and over again, the message that the Lord has during this Holy Week is fear not. So not only don't we fear, we're going to go on the offensive and take the message of Jesus to the world. If there's ever a time people are looking for hope, people are looking for something real, people are looking for something genuine, it's right now during this time when fear is gripping everyone worldwide. We have the message of hope. We have the message of truth. We have the message of forgiveness and the message of what happens to us after this life is over. You know, it's only the Christians that have the message of who we are. Why we're here, what's going to happen to us when we die, our identity, our purpose, and our destiny. It's found in the gospel, and it's all because of 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ came into Jerusalem, acknowledged himself for the first time that he was the Messiah, retracing the steps when the glory left. The glory now returns to the city of Jerusalem in the person of the Messiah, and someday he's going to return there again as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and we're going to return with him. This is the great message we have, one of not fear, one of hope, one of excitement, because God's kingdom is moving forward. Now, again, the great news about all this, we don't know how we're going to get there, but we know the end of what's going on. It's like knowing the end of a movie. We know how the movie ends, and if we're in Christ, we win. We come back with him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So if we keep our eye on the prize, on the prize on the end game, we know whatever happens during this time, we will win because we're in Jesus Christ. So this is the message we have on Palm Sunday 2020. We have hope. We have a reason to be excited. We have a reason to be at peace, even though the circumstances say you can't be at peace. Why? Because the Prince of Peace has entered your heart and my heart, and we are able to serve him and love him and acknowledge him and have a different demeanor than the rest of the people in this world, even though the difficulties are there with us too. Maybe lost a job. Maybe, uh, you know, you, you're sick right now. Now, whatever it might be, remember this, the God of the Bible is in control. As some 2,500 years ago, the prophet Daniel said, no, no man can do what you ask King Nebuchadnezzar, but there is a God in heaven. There is indeed a God in heaven, and he's working right now. It's the holiest week of the Christian calendar. Let's use it for our advantage, the advantage of the kingdom of God, and preach the gospel to everyone we come across and tell them the good news about Christ Jesus, who died for the sins of the world and came back from the dead so we can have hope. Because Jesus said, because I live, you are going to live also.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, uh, I thank you for this ministry here. I thank you for what it continues to do. It's done over the years. And I thank you right now for the just the time we're living in, the, the privilege we have of being able to share the word with not even having people in our presence but long distance digitally because of the technology that's there, where record numbers of people are hearing the good news about Jesus Christ. And as we enter to Holy Week, the first day here of Holy Week, Palm Sunday, where Jesus acknowledged himself before the crowd as the Messiah, as the Son of God, that we will use this day to say, this week, I'm going to acknowledge Jesus in front of everyone I come in contact with. I'm going to reflect Jesus this week in my life in such a way where people will know that he indeed is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, give us the grace and the strength to do that this week. Let us be your witnesses this particular week to the world to show that there are people in this world, even though it very, very, very difficult circumstances who have a hope, a genuine hope, that something good will come out of all this. And eventually we know what it's going to be, the kingdom of God coming to the earth. So let us be able to comfort those who are hurting now, Lord, to pray with those, to encourage them, but most of all to preach a message that meaning has come to life 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus Christ so we can know why we're here on this planet what's going to happen to us when we die, and how to live a life fulfilling in this particular world we're living in right now. Lord, thank you for all the things that you've given us, the promises showing that you are whom you claim to be. And so let your Holy Spirit supernaturally come upon us this week where the peace of God that does pass all understanding will guard our hearts and minds through Jesus Christ as we tell the world about a Jesus who did die and who did come back from the dead to give us all hope. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. All right. God bless you.